When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. What's up, guys? We are so excited to launch our new show, Health Theory. Well, mindset is absolutely critical to personal growth. Your mindset will never improve until your health does. I'm telling you, the mind and the body are so connected, it's freaky. So we're going to be diving into topics such as the microbiome, ketogenics, sleep, and more. It's going to be available for download starting March 7th. Come check it out. What's up, everybody? Sorry for the slow start. We are doing things a little bit differently here. I'm in New York, which has already been an amazing trip. I can't tell you guys how incredible this has been. Um, And by the way, for anybody that's watching on YouTube, I do fear that we may have started, uh, done a false start a little bit earlier. My apologies. Um, Like I said, we're here, totally new setup, but behind me is the glorious skyline of New York, and I'm super excited to be here. Um, came on an amazing trip to figure out how to tighten the business model as we we move forward with the creative, with the comic books, all that stuff. And this trip has been unbelievable. So very excited about that. And by the way, it goes with today's theme, which hopefully is going to tie to our first question. But it goes with the theme of the fact that you are average, my friends, is a glorious, glorious gift. And the reason that I say that is because You don't need to be exceptional when you start at anything. You have to get exceptional, and becoming exceptional is the key. And I find that people that really embrace the fact that they're starting from a position of being hopelessly and wonderfully average, those are the people that really understand what you have to do in terms of skill acquisition. So with what we're doing with the comic books, first step is understanding that I don't know nearly enough, and I need to put myself in a position where I can learn relentlessly figure out why I'm about to fail so that I can actually figure out how not to fail. But the first step in the process, once you have a dream, so I have the dream, I have the vision, I know which direction I wanna go, I'm going 100 miles an hour, and now I wanna figure out what exactly is going to cause me to fail? What are going to be all the problems along the way? And if you can really embrace that, if you can accept that you're ho- hopelessly average, that there's nothing about you that's special, it's going to make you focus on how do you become special? How do you figure it out? How do you solve a problem that other people don't think is solvable? And that really is the key. And that's why I've been here. And over the last two days, I've literally been sitting in um, just hours and hours and hours worth of meetings trying to figure out all the ways that something could go wrong. And then that's going to help me identify what are the skills that I'm going to have to require, what are the problems that I'm going to have to solve in order to get around that. And I've just found most people are not willing to stare at that. Most people so protect and so covet that sense of feeling good, feeling strong, feeling bright, smarter than most, that they cannot allow themselves because their ego is so fragile They cannot allow themselves to actually stare at all the ways that things could go wrong, all the things about themselves that are not good enough, all the ways in which they're weak and not powerful. 
being able to do that is in and of itself the superpower. It is the thing that you have to learn to do it. And look, you guys have heard me talk a lot about it. It, it is the number one thing that you have to do from an ego perspective is find a way to get your self-esteem, to generate your pride out of your willingness to look at that stuff. And after the first meeting yesterday, um, one of the people that was with me turned to me and said, wasn't that scary? And what they meant was basically they're thinking of me as having this vision and that the vision is what matters to me and that anything that might crack that vision is going to be scary. And the reality is to me living in that bubble, living with the excitement around my vision, that scares the shit out of me. And the reason that that scares me is because I know somehow, some way it is wrong. No one ever guesses right out of the gate and then that ends up just being the right answer. So you've got to be willing to actively seek out the ways in which you're wrong. All right. Without further ado, let's jump into the first question. This one comes from Chan Fitness via the Connect inbox. And he says, when I'm working really hard on my dreams and goals, I still have this annoying feeling in the back of my mind that I am too small for what I'm trying to achieve. I keep buying into the belief that I can achieve what the entrepreneurs I admire have achieved because I'm just me, hopelessly average, and I'm not capable of getting to that level. How can I get past this? Is that thought belief coming out of fear? So definitively, it's coming out of fear, and it's really coming out of fear of being average. And I think that there's something innate in us that actually prizes people who are naturally talented at something. And that that is the most sexy narrative that any of us could have, is that we're naturally, we're born for something, we were gifted with something that other people just don't have. And that thing is what makes us special. And thank God that we were blessed with that and that other people don't have it, and that's why we reign supreme over them. And that is such a fragile and weak stance to take that anybody who tries to adopt that, they are going to live a life of crushing fear and paralysis because the reality is human beings are not born exceptional. Human beings are born a lump of flesh that literally cannot survive. You could lay an infant next to a bottle of milk and it will still starve to death while shitting on itself. So let that sink in. That's where people start. That's where we all start. Now, if you can embrace that and say what makes me exceptional is simply I was born a human. Humans are designed to adapt. The very thing that makes us the apex predator, the the most dominant species the world has ever seen is that we start more or less blank. Not entirely, I get it, we have predilections, we're wired for certain things, we get easy wins in one way that somebody else might not get, but we're more or less able to adapt in any direction that we wanna go. That is the thing that makes us extraordinary. Now what we do with that potential is really the only question that matters. So right now you aren't capable of the things that the entrepreneurs that have done things that you admire have done. You're not capable of that. And so what it comes down for you is are you willing to go out and acquire those skills? Are you willing to put in the work to actually get good at those things? Are you willing to stare nakedly at your inadequacies? Once you're willing to do that, then you become unstoppable if you're actually willing to put in the work. But most people get caught up in the ego. They're so amped by their vision of themselves that they never stop and actually look at the fact that they're not executing, that they're not becoming like those entrepreneurs or whatever it is that they're trying to do. And they get caught up in this cycle of fear. And instead of addressing the core problem, which is entirely skill set, Okay, let that sink in. The problem is entirely skill set. It's not that you're average. It's that you don't have a skill set. So being average isn't the problem. Being incapable of something is. So going down the path of actually getting good. So focus on that. That that is at all times my advice to people is to focus on acquiring the skill set that you need to execute against your dreams. 
period. When you hold yourself accountable to that, you're going to crush it. All right, next question comes from Seam Land. This was the guy that won the 24-hour contest that we held last year, showed up at the house this last week. He was amazing in his everything that is right about this community. It was so much fun to get to meet him. Super cool dude. And his question is, what painful past life experience would you like to go through again just to embed the lesson learned into your mind? Uh, I don't know that there's anyone that I would want to do again. Pain is amazing, it's wonderful, and it is as Ray Dalio would say, and unfortunately I'm not pointing to Ray Dalio, but I am pointing to somebody who is deep in his world, who shares my love for principles. Um, as Ray Dalio would say, pain plus reflection equals progress. Some part of me wishes that we didn't need to go through the pain. Some part of me wishes that pleasure burn things into your mind as powerfully as pain, but it doesn't. So going through the painful experiences really is incredibly, incredibly powerful. But there isn't anything in my life that I'm like, hey, I want to go through that again. The fact is, the reason that I remember it is because it was painful. And so the pain was exactly what I needed in order to burn it into my nervous system, in order to not make those mistakes again. Um, so I'll give you some of the powerful lessons that I had to learn um, in, in very painful ways. So wanting to be right, thinking that I'm good and smart and all of that, um, that really was one of those things that over a very long period of time brought me so close to depression that I knew that I never wanted to be there again. And it was feeling like I was a sham, feeling like I was full of shit and not knowing how to break into the film industry, like that was paralyzing. And I thought that you either were good or you weren't. And so when I made my final thesis film at USC, which should have been the highlight of my career up to that point, and I should have just looked at it as a breathtaking learning experience, but instead um, it made me feel worthless and it made me feel like I didn't have any talent. And so that was so uncomfortable and so painful that that really echoed through my life for years and years until I learned how to really frame that. Um, so while I don't want to go through that again, it really taught me the most fundamental lesson, which is to embrace that we're all hopelessly average and that the reality that we need to face is it's all going to come down to your willingness to acquire those skills. So um, that's one of the most potent. All right. Ne next question is from Rusty Pang. This comes from Facebook. It said that the way you are thinking now won't work for where you want to be. So how does one break the old thinking and replace it with new thinking? To me, that comes down to an ability, and this is one of those scary things because it's hard to gain this ability, but the ability to assess accurately whether or not you're actually moving towards your goals. So everything starts with this hyper-specific goal, and this is why you can't in any way, shape, or form be nebulous about what it is you want to do. And I think that a lot of people are super fucking vague about what their goals are, and the easiest way for me to explain it is to say most people have the equivalent of a goal in their mind of something like this. What the words they actually use, this is the single most common, I wanna help people. Okay, great, that's really noble and I love that and I love that that's something that I hear all the time but the problem is that's like saying I wanna win uh, a gold medal in the Olympics. Okay, well summer or winter? Summer, great. Uh, tennis or swimming? Swimming, great. Which event? Because until you get to the exact event that you want, you don't know what to train, you don't know what skills you need, you don't know what muscle groups you need to be training, you don't have the goal in mind, and if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. So you need to create some environment where you know, here are the things that I'm going to measure that I need to get good at in order to 
win that gold medal. So if you want to win the gold medal, then you need to understand what kind of time do you have to swim in that event in order to qualify historically for a gold medal. That's a really good place to start. And then looking at the contemporary competition and understanding on their best day where they're setting the bar for a gold medal. And either you're swimming that fast or you're not. And so it all becomes entirely measurable. You can find trainers and coaches that understand how to get you there, but it all started with that really, really specific goal. So if you don't have that specific goal, then you can't even put a roadmap by which then you can see if you're actually making progress towards that or not. So invariably, in the beginning, you're almost certainly going to be doing the wrong things. You're going to be doing things that aren't moving you as rapidly towards your goal as you want. But when you can measure it and you have that roadmap and you can accurately identify whether or not you're taking steps, then you can adjust tweak and move on. So I'll give you guys an example. The whole reason that I'm here in New York was to meet with the former head of one of the major comic book companies. And literally, I said, I have two questions and I spent two days with him. Over the next two days, your job is to help me answer two questions. Question number one, why am I going to fail? And then question number two, once I understand why I'm going to fail, how do I ensure that I succeed? And then you really look at just the really fucking hard answers. And once you have that in place, then it's like, okay, I've got a rough idea of what I need to be executing against, the things that I'm going to need to learn, the people that I'm going to need to talk to, the problems with distribution that have to be solved or accounted for, all of that. And then you go build out answers to those problems, you see which ones work, and then you change and adjust as you go. But that really is... um, at a very high level, one of the things you have to do. Talk to people that already know, get them to break down for you the things you need to be doing. And that's how you evolve your thinking over time. All right, next question is from Carolina Wilk. This is from Facebook. Tom, exclamation point. How do you make yourself do things that you don't want to but have to? There's really only one way that I know to do this reliably, and that is to really care deeply about the thing that you're trying to do. So to me, it's, it's about identifying something that you get more energy out of than it takes from you. And I think people try to sum that up by saying, find something that you're passionate about. And first of all, you have to be really careful because you don't find, you're going to create passion. Passion is created, it's not discovered. So how do you learn to create that excitement around something that you care about? So do that by encountering a lot of things until you find one that really piques your interest and then engage with that heavily. And as you engage with that, learn to fan the flames to really create it as an obsession, which one of the easiest ways to create it as an obsession goes like this. Say in your head, this is something that I really enjoy, I love, it interests me for all these reasons. Like loop back over that as to why it's something that really drives you. Focus on the things that you like. Repeat it in your head. Man, I really got into that. I got into it for this reason. This is why I'm excited about this. And then externalize that. And a huge part of this, and one of the things that I do, one of the reasons that when I'm doing a live like this, like these guys will tell you in the room, two seconds before we started rolling, I was talking in a totally different manner than I am right now. I'm using much bigger um, physical expressions. And I do that because I for these lives to give me more energy than they take. I need to embody the excitement. I need to remind myself of connecting with you guys and why that's important to me and why that's fun. And in doing that, it makes me want to do the next live even more because I remember how it gave me energy instead of just taking it away. And I think about connecting with you guys and I think about the people that write in and all that stuff. So I'm intentionally doing that. I'm intentionally looping, looping around the things in the community that bring value to me. I'm intentionally embodying my excitement during this so that then as I replay this 
later in my mind that it, I remember how it was exciting and it was fun. So learning to do those things, learning to take conscious control of that process, is going to give you the excitement that you need. Then when you hit those things that you don't want to be doing, you're so excited and you so embody that enthusiasm for the thing you're trying to do that you believe in, that mission, that goal, that thing that like you would, you would die for and you've built into your life to live for it. That thing is giving you that energy. It, it becomes your passion. And that passion is the thing that's going to see you through. But you created all of that. So make sure that whatever you're trying to do, you actually give a shit about. That's the real answer. And I don't think people really understand how to cultivate that level of excitement in their life. And thusly, they sort of go through everything. It's milk toast. There's nothing that really gives them that energy because they don't think it's a process. They think there's just something in life, like a true love that they're meant to find. And when they find that thing, suddenly they're going to have the energy or that they can just discipline their way through this. They can grit it out, that they can hunger for money so much that they'll just push. But it doesn't work like that. All right, next question is from Danny Khan. This is Facebook. Hey, Tom, looking forward to your entertainment studio aspect of your business. Thank you. Question, are you planning on hiring artists, creatives, producers that are maybe not, that are, this is weirdly phrased, that are maybe not super experienced DC Marvel trained, but passionate and match your standards for hire? So we are very much open to anybody. I don't care if you work for DC Marvel. I don't care if you're working in a junkyard somewhere right now. But what we care deeply about is can you tell a story with deep emotion or draw an image that really captures something. So you've got to be good. So we are very much looking for people that have developed their talent. Remember, I don't think people are born with this stuff. I think that they develop that talent, plain and simple. And if you've put in the hours and you're good and you capture something amazing, you can tell a story that's really going to resonate with people, we want to hear from you. Now, we're trying to create something where the community can submit their work that's proving to be more difficult going back to doing things that you're not enjoying doing. It's proving to be more difficult than I originally thought. And the reason is that we have to wade through an entire universe of content that sucks. And how do you create legal mechanisms so that I don't get bitten in the ass later by somebody who submitted something that sucked and then I do an idea later that they think is close to their idea and now they come after me. So putting the stuff into place that will allow us get literally thousands upon thousands of submissions so that we can get to the, you know, the rarefied diamonds um, isn't easy but we will be doing it and getting community submissions over the long run is, is really an important part of our strategy. And I spent the last two days talking about all the ways that that could fall down and all the ways that we really make sure that we're able to do that. So the punchline is if, if you think you've got stuff like that, start by tagging me in your IG stuff. That's super easy. That way I can just go see as an artist, do you have talent or not? Um, and so in fact, Jesus, I literally never thought of it till this minute. Uh, for anybody out there that fancies themselves an artist, tag me on IG. I will look at your stuff. Um, if you're not posting your stuff there, I mean, that's the modern day version of a portfolio. You should absolutely be doing that. Put it up on IG. I'll drink your IG feed in as a totality so I won't overlook at any one piece. I want to see, like, can you consistently create stuff that really resonates? Um, that is perfect. We may have just solved all of our legal problems right here, uh, at least for artists. Um, next question is from Steve Joseph, Facebook. Hi, Tom. What are your thoughts on trying to limit ego in your life to make sure the goals you set out for yourself are authentic and not imposed by others? Um, so I don't necessarily see the tie to ego. So I'll break it out and just say, how do you set goals to make sure that they're authentic to yourself and not to others? So 
having awareness around your emotional state is really critical and understanding what are those things that, that really get you excited and light you on fire um, is for me, that's always been something that's easy, but I'll describe the internal process for you. So when, I, when I'm preparing for an impact theory episode, I'm usually filled with anxiety at the beginning of the process and I'm asking myself questions like, am I gonna be able to find this interview? Or if it's somebody that I really wanna interview, like, am I going to be able to deliver that level of interview that got this person to agree to be on the show, right? Or is this gonna be the interview that I fuck up and like, man, and this begins to erode our reputation, okay? That's where I start at the beginning preparing for pretty much every episode. And then as I go, something about that person fascinates me. Some, some little moment, like with Seth Godin, it was when I saw him, um, I can't remember if he wrote about it or talked about it, but he said that when um, Leonard Nimoy died that it made him cry. And I was like, what the fuck? Like that hit me so hard. I was so fascinated by that, that like I originally, I wanted that to be the very first question that I asked him. I ended up asking him later in the episode, but that was so fascinating to me that literally in that moment, all of my anxiety dies away and I find myself totally lost in like really thinking about how Seth Godin, who I think of in one way, was so into Leonard Nimoy and Leonard Nimoy represented something so powerful to him that he cried when a human being he'd never met died. And in that, I was totally lost. And that's when I knew there's something there. And so being able to recognize that moment of excitement of like, whoa, that's so interesting to me. If you can recognize that that, that that is happening, then you know that's something that's real for you. doesn't matter what anybody says. Even if somebody else had told me, hey, make sure you ask him about the Leonard Nimoy thing, it really hit me on an emotional level when I encountered it. So that's like learning to feel your emotions and then being able to back into them and understand what's driving them. That's where things, that's how you know something is authentic to you. And so over time, just really making sure that you listen to those. Like anxiety for me is oftentimes um, triggered if I'm starting to, I'm at the end of my knowledge and I'm still trying to talk about it. And so that's why you'll hear me if I'm ever talking about something and I feel anxiety kick in, it means, okay, I'm hitting the edge of what I know. And then I'll just acknowledge, hey, I'm now out of the depths of what I really truly understand. And so we're, we're going beyond that. But I say that as a way to then lower my anxiety levels, but all of it is me having a relationship to the emotions that are kicked up. And the emotions, by the way, the coolest um, explanation I've ever heard of what emotions are is that it's your subconscious talking to your conscious mind. So the subconscious can process data, what they call vaster and faster. So it processes way more data, more rapidly than the conscious mind. But then if we know that the conscious mind, the language of the conscious mind is what we think of as normal language, the subconscious mind has to have a really rapid way of communicating a massive amount of data in a really rapid fashion. And that's what emotions are. So your emotions are just quickly telling you something about the current state, whether it's excitement, whether it's anxiety, fear, whatever. That's your subconscious mind, which is taking in a whole lot more data. So learning to trust your subconscious mind by being able to read your emotions is really critical. All right. Next up, Jose Gabriel Gonzalez this is from Facebook. 
Tom, what is your approach for giving your time away to help others such as this AMA? How do you reconcile the fact that time spent helping others could be spent working on your goals or polishing up your skills? That is an amazingly good question. And some of it comes down to, at the end of the day, the only game that you're playing, it's not success, it's not money, it is brain chemistry. So it comes down to how do you want to feel? And Tony Hawk, I think, has the best description of success that I've ever heard. And he said, doing what you love for a living is success. And he said, it doesn't matter if you're making a lot of money. If you can afford, like, he's, he's, he always makes that statement when he's referencing the period in his life where um, in the 80s, skateboarding totally collapsed. There was virtually no money to be made from it anymore. Um, he didn't have sponsorship dollars coming in. He was skateboarding for a living in the parking lot of Six Flags, and he was making just enough to afford um, sandwiches and a $5 a day Taco Bell allowance. And he said, but I was still happy and I still loved it. And it never crossed my mind to go do something else because I was getting paid to skateboard. And he was like, even though, you know, five or six years before that, I was making enough money to buy a house. And he said, now I was making enough money to afford $5 a day at Taco Bell. He was like, I was still skating and I still loved it. And he said, that is success. And I thought that's so powerful. And we all get lost in these external metrics of what we think success is, rather than saying the name of the game is actually brain chemistry. So if you're focusing on that brain chemistry, then it how you allocate your time becomes much easier. So for me, doing AMAs, they give me more energy than they take away. So just from a raw emotional standpoint, I enjoy it. And then also, I understand as a part, like I, whenever possible, I make things work double duty. So not only do AMAs make me feel good, Good, which is amazing. It's also a key part of my strategy in terms of building um, the next Disney. So spending these last two days looking at all the ways in which the, my current thinking is going to fail um, really makes it clear that one of the, the only ways that this is going to work is if I'm right about the fact that social media has changed the landscape of how to build a business so much that I'll be able to build a community that when I make the ask of, hey, go check this comic out or tell your friend who might be into comics to go look at this or hey, we've got a movie coming up or a TV show. I just want you guys to show up or you guys know my ultimate fantasy if we go to say a Netflix, uh, we're trying to sell a show that you guys are standing out in the parking lot with a sign that says Impact Theory. Um, so my bet is that that's exactly what is going to work. So doing this, coming here, showing that I'm willing to suffer to add value to your life, that I'm willing to take away time from building my skill set, or I'm willing to take away time from building the studio and do this and answer your questions because I think it adds value, or even more impactfully, when I go do um, a live talk and afterwards I tell people, I will stay until every question has been answered and my record is um, just over 11 hours of standing there without stepping away to pee, without taking a break to eat anything, literally just standing there for 11 hours and answering people's questions. Um, I want people to be able to look me in the eye and see that I'm willing to suffer. For them to bring value to the community and my belief is that social media has created that possibility where I can build a massive community measured in the millions by doing that, by adding value to other people's lives. So um, those are the two ways that I really judge how I spend my time. Is it going to help me build that community that I need to go on and be successful the way that I want to be? And does it give me more energy than it takes away? And if the answer, honestly, to either of those is yes, I'll do it. And I'll always prioritize things that do both. All right. Next up is from Khalid Hanif. This is from YouTube. It's one thing to pursue your passion as a hobby. It's a whole different ballgame to do what you love and get paid for it. How do I find a way to turn my passion into my career? 
Okay, so think of it like a Venn diagram and you're looking for areas that overlap. And there, one, you have to decide like, what does a career look like for you? Is a career $35,000? Is it $75,000? Uh, they say the magic breaking point is 77, that once you're making $77,000, money over that doesn't actually add to your happiness. Um, or is it more? Is it you know, 150,000, 250,000? Or do you want to become a multimillionaire or a billionaire, right? Like figuring out where on the career scale you fall is gonna determine um, what kind of overlap area you have to look for. So. That's really, really critical. And if you're on sort of the, you know, we'll call it the, the middle of the road, just like a nice solid living, the $77,000 um, kind of living, there's gonna be a lot of things that open up to you in that vein um, that you could do that are both lining up with your passion and are something that are, that's marketable to the world. And whether that's in the um, constructs of a company or whether that's you being a freelancer, there's so many ways these days to market your talents and skills that unlike any other time before where you really had to slot into something that a company not only recognizes valuable, but they had a name for it and they knew how to put a pay structure around it. So a lot of that has, has really gone by the wayside. But ultimately you're looking for something I love and something the world's willing to pay for. And where you find those areas of overlap, that's how you're gonna create that or is that something that's already there for me? Is there a name for this? Is there a known marketplace for where I can sell this? Um, or am I gonna have to create that and am I willing to do that? But I mean, these days now, even with things like Etsy and Amazon, it's Jesus, you could sell virtually anything. Um, and then Upwork, if you don't know it, if you have a service type skill set that doesn't create a final product, um, you can go there and, and market your talent. So, but ultimately that's it. My passion and what is the world, what is the world willing to pay for? If you want a fighting chance against the competition, you need to be using the best technology and platforms in the world like Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. Now, I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy for you to start, run, and grow your business. It didn't used to be this easy. I'm telling you back in the day, it was a lot harder. I'm so jealous. Shopify powers more than 10% of all US e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly and efficiently choose Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash impact now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash impact. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with eBay Motors. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
Okay, uh, and if you find yourself on the farther end of that spectrum and you want you know, millions or billions of dollars, ownership is the only way. Um, and ultimately, the understanding the difference between being wealthy on paper and being wealthy in bank account, that's, that's a pretty big thing. I, I won't go into that here, but on, on the higher end, things start to get um, different than different than that sort of really base thing, but it gets very different in terms of you need to own it, um, and then, honestly, you need to find an exit strategy. Almost nobody gets rich in operations, but like I said, that's a whole other thing. All right, uh, next question is from Villar, Villarchim, and this is YouTube. What do you do when you have changed majorly and you still feel like you have failed because of the time you wasted? How do you deal with the lost time? So I, um, I play a game, and it goes like this. I pretend that literally this second, as these words are coming out of my mouth, that I am just now waking up out of the matrix and everything leading up to this moment is fake. It is entirely false and it's merely meant to give me the context with which to live the rest of my life. It is the programming that makes the AI actually able to move forward and make decisions. So hey, if it's all fake, then I can just choose to lean on whatever experiences that I have in my past that actually set me up to be more empowered to move forward. So if beating myself up over having lost that time is the that I need to be razor sharp and super clear about what I'm doing now and moving forward, then I'm going to do it. And if not, and if it gets into this weird loop and I'm beating myself up and it's eroding my ability to enjoy my life, then I'm going to stop doing it. It's a fake fucking memory anyway. Likewise, if you accept that, hey, I don't live in the matrix, which by the way I do, I don't think we actually live in the matrix. I think this shit is real. I still just go, does it make sense to spend my time there beating myself up over the wasted time? Or is that even more wasted time sitting there and focusing on it? And now I'm letting it rob even more fucking time from my life, which would be absolutely crazy and would literally be the definition of insanity, in which case I'm going to immediately stop doing that and I'm going to focus on moving forward. Now, for whatever reason, for me, having that built-in belief system, like at a foundational operational level that I only do and believe that which moves me towards my goals, it lets me off the hook for a lot of stupid shit. I used to be freakishly dumb, wasting time, laying in bed for hours and hours and hours and hours. I, in my life, I've been unintentionally cruel to my wife in the beginning of our relationship. All of those things. All of the things that I could focus on that would make me feel really badly about myself. I let myself off the hook by going, it doesn't help. Remembering all the times that I was mean to the love of my life how does that help me be good and better to her now? It doesn't. So I don't do that. And so I let go of that. And believing that I'm a bad person for that, like that doesn't help me be a better person today or enjoy my life more. And so I let go of it. So if you can let that operating system level belief do and believe that which moves you towards your goals, period. If you can believe that that's the right way to live, then hopefully it will let you off the hook and you're not going to spend a lot of time focusing on that. Because the reality is you can't change it. You can change your perspective on it. You can't actually change it. So focus on changing your perspective. All right. Next question is from Debella Topher Scott. This is on Facebook. Hiya, Tom. My past four years have set me back with four car accidents. Good Lord. May I suggest no more car uh, rides? Two major back surgeries, going broke twice, and the loss of my sister. God damn. New Year's Day 18. Question. For someone basically restarting life at 36 and knows learning skills are key, how do you know you're creating the right path? You don't 
But the way that you get closest to that is like what I was talking about earlier by really being able to identify your emotions and what's driving them. You're looking for things in your life that are gonna be giving you more energy than they take away, that it's positive, it's uplifting, it's empowering you, it's making you feel better about your life. So I don't think there is any objective right way. I think there is only, I have a goal, I really believe in this, this goal excites me, and when I stop and think about if I actually achieved that goal and I attained it, how would I feel about myself? What would the world look like? How much does that excite me, right? So people keep getting confused. They think my goal is to build comics or to make movies. It's not. That's my path to pulling people out of the matrix. Now, the good news is when I think about pulling people out of the matrix, it is so exciting that I will suffer virtually any path, but it just so happens that I also love comic books and film. But the one thing that I keep gut checking myself against is, is comic books and film actually the right path to pulling people out of the matrix over multiple generations? Because I don't want to be deluded by the fact that I love it so much, the path itself, that I end up not actually achieving my goal, which is far more exciting to me. So when I think about what would I be willing to risk my fortune for, it definitely is not for comics and movies. I love them, so much fun. But if somebody said, hey, you're actually going to go broke doing that, I'd be like, then fuck it. But if somebody said, hey, pulling people out of the matrix, meaning helping people at scale, that's what matters to me, at scale, getting out of a limiting belief system and really reaching their full potential. That's fucking interesting. If somebody said, hey, you could bet your fortune on that and have a real shot at making that happen, that I would do. And that's literally what we are doing. So I know that that is a beyond true statement. So, but I'm not confused. I know one of them is worth banking on for me emotionally and one of them is not. And so I try to always be clear about whether my path is right to use your words or not. But I know that this thing here, pulling people out of the matrix, seeing that moment of awakening in people, that lights me on fire in a way that nothing else does. So because that's true emotionally and because when I think through that it's exciting and because that there are um, small micro moments of that through my life that I get all the time on literally a daily basis, largely by the way, thanks to you guys in the community who write in and saying how this stuff changed your life and how it is allowing you to do things you wouldn't have otherwise been able to do. Um, it, it's right in that Tony Hawk sense of the success is I love what I do and I love it every day. So I love in the moment, um, as well as just looking at the grand scheme. So if you have that gut feel and it feels right, you're doing the right thing. Even if ultimately you realize you have to pivot and you've gotten off course and that the financial side may have been wrong and so you have to you know, address that and move on. Um, but from an emotional standpoint, which I think trumps the financial standpoint, that's how you find out if it's right. Okay, next up is from Gonskla. Gonskola92 from YouTube, why, why is it that we tend to make, take more into consideration when others destructively criticize us when they support us or encourage um, us many things? Okay, so this is, has to do with you have a, um, a brain that is built in three pieces and each piece is simply layered on top of the other one. So you start at just above the brainstem, um, you have something called the amygdala, um, which incorporating that is the lizard brain. So the lizard brain is the oldest part of our brain. It's the thing shared with the most creatures from an evolutionary perspective before us and it's meant to keep you alive. So it's gonna control your fight or flight response, it's going to control um, your rest and digest, it's, it's the thing that controls all of the like deeply embedded um, instinctual stuff. So being afraid of a snake, seeing a stick out of the corner of your eye and jumping, all of that's the lizard brain. It's all the things that are meant to keep you alive. Now, 
staying alive is the single most important thing for a human. So the human brain is optimized to keep you alive. So if somebody gives you like positive news, like it's nice, it feels good, but it's not life or death, it's good news. Whereas the bad news, you're about to get eaten by something, you might starve to death. Like that is the terminable or the terminal event. So you want to avoid a termination event, an extinction event. So that's what we're optimized for neurologically. So understanding that, that's how you recognize, okay, I get why it's something like five times. You're five times more likely to remember something negative than you are something positive. Okay, so I can, because I don't live in an environment where death is coming to get me that rapidly, I can move myself into the higher level cognition. So if at the core of everything, you have the lizard brain, on top of that, you have the mammalian brain, which is responsible for your emotions, and then top of that, you have the neocortex, and neocortex is responsible for the higher level cognition, what they call executive function. So the executive function is where you should be trying to live the most of your life so that you're, while you're aware of your survival instincts and why the negativity um, has such a big emotional response for you, you also have the neocortex where you can look back at that and go, cool, I get it, but I'm not going to fall for it. And so not putting in your, yourself in a position where logically you also blindly accept that those negative things are more true. So if you can get yourself in a position where you can take negative feedback for what it is, that you cannot let yourself fall for things hurting the way that negative things tend to hurt, then you can rise above it. Um, and, and the key way that I found to do that, by the way, is to flip what you build your self-esteem around from being right, being good, being worthy, to really taking pride in a willingness to look at your, um, your inadequacies and all of that. Because once you pride yourself on being the learner, then all of a sudden you can really begin to move forward much more powerfully. So that is my advice. All right, next up is from Mia Lavoy. What's up, Mia? I'm beginning to recognize your name. I love seeing you in the comments. Thank you so much. This is from Facebook. Hi, Tom. When you think of your audience and followers, have you pinpointed a recurring weakest link of mindset that you see people keeping them from motivation and taking action? Um, for me, the, the thing that you see over and over and over and over and over is just that people take pride in being good and being right and being worthy. That's their default position. And so getting beyond that that really is first and foremost is it is the single most important thing to getting over or getting into a growth mindset. Now, the number one thing that I see as the stumbling block, because most of the people that come to me um, at least already have what Carol Dweck calls a false growth, growth mindset in that um, they don't recognize how many ways are tripping themselves up. They don't recognize all the ways in which um, they are doing things for ego in a way that doesn't matter. They don't have the awareness to stop themselves. And so they do a lot of petty shit, even though if you ask them, they could describe a growth mindset magically, um, but they don't actually actually hunger, and this is a key distinction, they don't hunger to find out where they're wrong. I just paid somebody a lot of money to basically laugh at me for two days, to tell me all the ways in which I'm stupid, and I had somebody with them, with me, so there were three of us, and I pulled the guy aside that was with me before we went in on day one, and I said, look, no matter what they say, because they're going to say shit that's going to hurt your feelings, no matter what they say, don't argue, don't push back, listen, and open yourself up to them being right. Because if they're right, then we just dodged a bullet. And if they're wrong, then what the fuck does it matter? Like you shouldn't have an ego hit from that. And so that's how you really get ahead in life. When you have a growth mindset, you want people to tell you that you're wrong because now you can get better. And that really is the key. Somebody with a growth mindset actually wants to get better. Okay, so that's the first part. The thing that I see everybody actually struggling with is that they um, think that the way that you 
get a passion in your life is to find it. So they think that they're an archaeologist and what they need to do is discover, to dig around inside them, to find that deep passion that's been lying within them all this time and they just need to now discover it and bring it to the forefront. And the reality is you're not an architect, or excuse me, you're not an archaeologist, you're an architect. So you're going to build this stuff and you're going to create it. And I think that if one of the biggest things I hope that I can give this community is an understanding of exactly how to create excitement, to create passion in your life. That if, if I can do that, we'll have taken just a tremendous step forward. And I've already talked about that uh, today, so I won't go into that more here. But that really is the, the, the critical thing. You have to be able to create enthusiasm, energy, excitement, passion, not out of nothing because it needs to be born of something that actually did capture your interest. But you need to be able to take, think of it this way, you need to be able to take an ember and turn it into a raging inferno. That, that is what human beings need to get good at. So if you can like, just think about what that would look like, you don't just let an ember sit there. You don't just blow on an ember. You don't just put kindling on top of it. You take an ember, you put grass, dry grass on top of it. You blow on it, that catches on fire. Then you start feeding the kindling. Then you put bigger things on top. Then you stoke the fire. You make sure that it's got enough air to breathe. Just like a fire, has to be constructed in a very intelligent manner and it is a very conscious process that does not happen by accident. You have to do the same thing in your life to build a passion, to build something that has enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. So being able to do that is, is the key. All right, next up, this is Zach Richardson on Facebook. Good morning, Tom. I'm traveling the world in my van, very cool, and honing my craft on photography, film, and blogging. I have my vision in place and I know what it looks like. However, I always go back to the habit of overthinking and being paralyzed. Any suggestions how to overcome it? Yes, and this is straight from Seth Godin. If you have to, Fake a name, come up with a gnome de plume, and everything that you put out, put out under somebody else's name. That's fine, but just get this shit out there and see how people react. When I say I'm utterly unafraid of doing things that fail, I'm utterly unafraid. Like, I, the reason is, like, I know what my goal is, and I know that between me, where I'm at now today, and my goal is a necessary amount of failure. I have to fuck up because pain plus reflection equals progress. I need to do things that put me in a position to hurt, to go, fuck, that sucked. And I really thought that was gonna win. And it didn't, and it was embarrassing, and I thought it was good, and it was shit, and the world has told me that that is an abject failure. Now, understand, I derive my pride, my entire sense of ego, the thing that gets me out of the morning and makes me feel like a total fucking badass, is my willingness to fail and to suffer, and to sit in that pain, and to goggins it out, and to just grind, and be willing to face all of that stuff. So I would put my name on it. I would be unafraid to fail. I would go hard. I want to see what works and what doesn't work because I believe in my ability to get better. When you believe that putting something out there, your photography, your blogs, whatever, when you believe that if you put it out and it fails and it doesn't resonate, that it means you are a failure. Once you can accept that it doesn't mean that, it means that currently, with your current set of skills, you are not yet good enough. Yet good enough. And that there is a very identifiable path to getting good. Once you know that, once you know that there's a path to getting good, and it simply comes down to whether or not you're willing to walk that path, then it's like, cool, now I know that I'm wrong. Now I know what path I need to be on, and now I can go get those skills. And usually, by the way, even when people are trying to fucking hurt you, and they are not trying to be constructive, they're actually trying to be destructive, if somebody really wants to fuck with you, the best news ever, the greatest way to fuck with you is to tell you something true that hurts. 
But now, unintentionally, they've just given you a gift because they are trying to take you down by hurling something real. And it's usually something that either you feared was true but weren't sure, or you were totally blind to. Either way, now you either have confirmation or your eyes are opened to a truth about your specific inadequacy, which now you can address. So, publish is the really short answer. All right, next up, we've got Mike Persicilli. What's up, Mike? Hi, Tom. As you establish your representation in the world of comics, how much time do you spend looking at your competition versus building your vision for your brand? Do you find it to be similar to Quest? Yeah, I think that at the end of the day, being aware of what your competitors are doing makes a lot of sense, but thinking that it's going to help you go to the next level is the wrong answer because ultimately what people are looking for is something new, something fresh, a unique voice, an authentic voice. So one, especially in the world of comics and film and TV, I fucking love it. So I would never want to be in a position where I wasn't encountering that stuff or enjoying it, but there may be times where you want to shut yourself off in the world to not be taking in other people's creative so that you go create with what you're feeling internal, that vision that you have and really just get it out. Um, but I live in a world where I'm ecstatic by how much content is being put out there. I want to go engage with it just as a fan. And so being able to get inspired by that, being able to be pushed by that, being able to be like have my insecurities triggered by that. For me, that's big because I love, I love it when somebody, I, you can feel them breathing down your neck and it pushes you to be better. And I don't think anybody ever achieves their best without somebody breathing down their neck. And so I want that. I want people that are pushing me, making me sweat. And I love that in the beginning, everybody thinks that you'll never be able to do this. You're just going to be dwarfed by the competition. So I love that. I love being an underdog. So yes, I'm, I'm very aware of what they're doing, but I also take time to just step away from that, go in hard and create my own stuff. All right. Um, Orlando Ramos, Facebook. You speak about wanting to live forever. So very true. What would you do if you actually could do so? Spend eternity creating the world you envision? Uh, experience the vastness of this world? Would you work as tirelessly on your vision if you knew that you had forever to achieve it? So the answer to me is yes. And literally, part of the reason that I lie to myself right now and say that I am going to live forever is because that motivates me to go harder, to dream bigger, and to not be afraid of things that I think might take 75 years. So right now, I think that the, the dominant model in business is so true. So the guy that I was just consulting with, I cannot tell you how many fucking times I had to beat into his head. I'm not trying to sell in the next three to five years. So stop giving me advice for somebody who's going to sell in three to five years. That's not what I'm about. What I want to do is build the next Disney. That shit is going to take me 70 plus years. I get that. I also get that the world's going to change so fucking much I can't possibly predict it. But understand what that does to my thinking right now. It makes me think for the long run. It makes me not make short-term bets. It makes me not try to pump revenue at the expense of building a brand that has integrity and a reputation and it stands for something. It's why I can do an 11-hour Q&A because I believe that connecting with the audience is the right answer for the long run. So I don't have any sense of like, fuck, I've got to like, you know, pump and dump, as they say. I've got to get this thing like big now so that I can offload it to somebody. That is not at all how I think. I want a long-term relationship. Now, if I thought that I was going to die in the very near future, I would think very, very differently. So thinking on a long time scale allows me to maximize my pleasure in this moment. So understand that the reason I wouldn't look any differently if time went on forever is because I optimize for things that make me feel on a neurochemical level awesome today. 
So I happen to love solving business problems. It's one of my favorite things to do. I just get an absolute fucking rush from it. It like, I've mentioned Ted Kaczynski before, the Unabomber, for those that don't know. And I just wrote him off as like a crazy side note until one day I read why he's called the Unabomber. Do you guys know why he was trying to kill university professors? Anyone in the room? This is so fucking interesting. So Lindsay knows. I love that. So he was afraid that the problems that fit into this sweet spot, which are defined this way. At the bottom, you have problems that are super simple. Anybody can do it. At the top, you have problems that are outside of human understanding. Then in this sweet spot, you have these things that are really fucking hard, but they are solvable. And he said that was like the greatest joy a human being could ever know is to solve a problem that was really hard, but ultimately attainable. And so he thought universities were destroying it, that they were churning through the problems too fast, and that in a short period of time, there'd be nothing left. It's fucking crazy, and that, but that's why he was killing people. I actually get what he's saying. Like Those problems are so fucking awesome. So that, to me, is why I have such a good time taking on an establishment that everybody thinks is impossible to crack, because I believe that it is crackable. It's been done before. We've seen this industry disrupted. Pixar came out of nowhere. Marvel just got bought by Disney. I mean, the things that people have been able to do on longer timelines, but the things that people have been able to do are really, really extraordinary. Netflix has come in and just fucking disrupted the whole world. Apple went from being the shit to falling into nothing to being the shit again. It's like this stuff, it is very possible even on the grandest scales. Because I know it is humanly possible, I believe it is possible for me. And solving those like key problems is, is the joy. So when you're optimizing for today, and that happens to line up with a forever strategy, you get something really, really interesting. And that, that's my sweet spot. So I think I look exactly the same on a 200-year timeline as I do on a 30- or 40-year timeline. All right, next question is from Travis Hearn. Do you think it's smarter to spend a lot of your time and energy going out of your way to eat right and exercise often to be physically healthy, or would it be smarter to just spend all of your time and energy trying to reach your goals and a healthy mental state? All right, so here's the reality. I think that the body and the mind, it is ridiculous to think of them as separate entities, and the more that we're learning about the microbiome, the more this is just becoming patently true. So I think that things like anxiety and depression are inextricably tied to microbiota in your intestinal tract, that you have as many neurons in your, what they call the enteric nervous system, as, you, as a cat does in their entire fucking brain. Think about that for a second. So it is, it, it is one ecosystem. So there really is no separation. So if you want to optimize your mental health, you have to optimize, much to my dismay, you have to optimize your body. And I say much to my dismay because I really enjoy psychological pursuits and I really don't enjoy pursuits of the body. But for me to get the most out of the pursuits of the mind, I have to keep my body optimized. If you want to know how fucking true that is, go, go on a drinking bender and then the next day do something that takes mental dexterity. You're just not going to be as good at it. It's like that is so easy to test. Now it becomes more insidious when you're just suboptimal physically. Like I'm convinced if I pushed my body even harder, I bet I could get my mind into an even better state. So now I live my life in this equilibrium between if I put more time directly into my body versus my skill set, would I be better off or have I reached that point of equilibrium? I think I live my life about as close to that equilibrium where if I put more time into my body, the incremental benefits just aren't enough, and so I might as well put them into my mind because the incremental benefits there are probably roughly the same, but I enjoy this one more, so I put more on that side. My wife, on the other hand, lives in that same equilibrium, but she thinks that putting more into the body is more pleasurable, so she does that. 
So there it is. That's my answer. All right. Next question is from Nathan LeMay. This is on Facebook. Um, and this is probably going to have to be the last one, right? We're at the end of our time. Um, if your kid's family were to inherit no money or possessions, but only a set of principles, what would they be? Thank you. This is like you set me up. This is very easy. So I've literally written those out. And you can go to impacttheory.com right now and download the Impact Theory Belief System. That is literally all I need anybody to get. And my entire life, everything I'm doing in the comics, all of that is literally just to find the most viral, sticky way possible to get people to believe in those things. There's 25 of them. They're very direct. They're simple. They're not easy. But if you implement those things into your life, then you will truly have a growth mindset. You will truly be able to gain the skills that you need to execute against any goal. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me for this. This was a lot of fun here in New York. This is awesome. Mad love to the Vayner team for being here, crushing it, setting it up. You guys are amazing. Thank you for facilitating my whole trip, in fact. You guys have been incredible. Uh, I am much appreciative. If you guys haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.